Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to John uh, chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're going to be in verse 18, and we're going to get about four verses into chapter 6. John 15, 18 through 16, 4. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, you can open up to page 1243 in the Pew Bible. 1243 in the Pew Bibles. You're opening up there. Let me mention two things. One, uh, well, three. One, thank you so much uh, for the love that you show to myself and my family and the rest of our pastoral staff. Uh, I, for one, am also thankful to those brothers, to, to Nathan and, and to Woody, who helped me pastor this church and who pastor me uh, more often than they want to, I'm sure. And so I'm thankful for, for both of those brothers in Christ. I'm thankful for the rest of our ministerial and, and support staff as well. We're, we're so blessed here. So thank you for the, for the gesture and uh, for the kindness and for the gift. Uh, we appreciate you very much, and it's a, one of the great joys of my life to get to be your pastor, and uh, we, we love it here, love and love you, so thank you so much. Uh, another thing I'll mention is thank you for allowing me time off throughout the year so that we can get rest, so that we can go away, so that last week we were able to celebrate our 10-year anniversary and Whitney's birthday, and, uh, and so we're thankful for that as well. And then finally, let me encourage you to meet me tonight at uh, Glencoe First Baptist Church, First Baptist Glencoe, for our EBA annual meeting. Now, oftentimes that's a really long business meeting, but this year it's going to be a very short business portion, just about 30 minutes. Then we're going to have a worship service, community-wide worship service, and my evangelism professor from Southern Seminary, Dr. Adam Greenway, will be here tonight. He's a wonderful preacher. I hope you'll make plans to be there tonight at First Baptist Glencoe, and I, I believe the, the worship begins tonight at 5.30. Uh, doors open at 4.00. So I hope you'll I hope you all will make plans. I'd love to see I'd love to introduce my professor to some of my church members. I I, I hope you'll make plans uh, to be there tonight at uh, First Baptist Glencoe. Well, if you have your Bibles open, won't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God? John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to you. Beginning verse eighteen. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me... They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done any, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. 
They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, even though in our lives we may at times face persecution and trials, God, we thank you for this reminder that you are with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I read the news, as I see articles and other things online, as I just sort of perceive the world around me, I've noted as a pastor, and it's become really clear to me that hate and hatred is common. Hatred is common. It's easy to come by. Hate is everywhere. I've, I've noted over the last several years what happens when people who once thought morality was relative, I've seen what happens when they clamp down on things. And I'm going to tell you something, it's just another sort of fundamentalism. We can see the way that people are treated who don't exactly line up with the cultural narratives around us. And while so much of the progress that's been made over the last few years has been very needed, we've also seen the ugly side of a lot of things. From the way people are treated from, by the world when it's found out that they don't line up with the way things people think ought, things ought to be done. And so, whether or not you had made some big mistakes in your past in the way that you've treated women or people of the opposite sex, and rightfully so, there have been a whole lot of people who have committed despicable sins, who rightfully so have had their careers ended. But we also see the way that oftentimes people are treated afterward. Furthermore, people who, who, who practice all sorts of a number of our cultural sins are ostracized from their community. They're excommunicated. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? It goes beyond just taking sin seriously. It has become a matter of hatred. Of hatred toward transgressors, toward political foes, even toward our own friends and neighbors. Our society has, has made a marked shift toward hatred. And sometimes I fear that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ Rather than being the one group of people who can say, yes, sin is awful, but in Christ you can receive grace. Rather than doing that, I fear that we have decided to wallow out into the slop, forgetting that the pearl of the gospel is in our pockets. As we wallow out into the slop, accidentally through our behavior, casting our pearls before swine. This morning, I want to talk to you about the fact that the world hates Jesus the world hates Jesus the world crucified Jesus the world hates Jesus and what Jesus tells us as his followers is that if the world hated him he will the world will hate us as well so I want to talk to you today about how the world will hate the church and hate the message of the church at different times but I want to talk to you this morning about how the followers of Jesus Christ ought to deal with it how the followers of Jesus Christ ought to deal with it. Here's our first point this morning. Let Jesus be what the world hates. Let Jesus be what the world hates. Now, it sounds strange to us to think that anyone would hate Jesus. 
Jesus means so much to us and each and every one of us who have a personal relationship with Christ, who have come to know Him through salvation, we consider and think through and recognize the fact Jesus loves us is one of the great miracles of our lives. But we must, as Christians, let Jesus be what the world hates. The world hated Jesus before the world hated His disciples. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in verses 18 down into 22. If the world hates you, verse 18, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We must, as Christians, recognize that we have to be the sort of people who let Jesus be what the world hates. Here's what I think the problem is. I I think that so often we want to take the hatred of the world personally. We want to take the, the hatred of the world personally. Moses did that. Now, not throughout his whole life, but Moses took the hatred of the world against the Israelites personally, took it in his own hands, and what did he do? He killed one of the Egyptian taskmasters, right? He murdered him, and then he fled from Egypt, went out, fled from Egypt, and then eventually God, by His grace, delivered His people. And so indeed, yes, Moses did that. Children of Israel did that. They wanted a king. Like the, king the world, like the kings the world have, because they wanted somebody to protect them, to stand up for them. They wanted somebody to fight their battles. And so they took it personally, and so they found themselves a king. God gave them what they wanted. He allowed them to bring Saul, and he, 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 they got a, an ungodly king in Saul. We cannot, as Christians, take it personally when folks reject the gospel. Now, this has been disorienting for a lot of us. So a little easier for those of us in younger generations, but when I hear those of you who are older than I am speak and talk about the way the world is today, it's disorienting for many of you. And I understand that completely. It, uh, to a lesser degree, it's disorienting for me. There are things that virtually everyone thought 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 80 years ago, 100 years ago, 20 years ago. There are things that the church has believed for 2,000 years that for most of your lives was not controversial to believe. That suddenly, suddenly, in the last decade, suddenly it has become very controversial to believe those things. Suddenly, suddenly, it feels like to many of you who are older, I believe, that you went from living in Zion to living in Babylon. Now, listen, I grew up in exile. We've recognized, I've had to recognize my whole life that I'm living in an era that is not a predominantly Christian era. It's difficult, but for many of us, it's disorienting. And so oftentimes, I do hear Christians who lament, and I understand why, the world we live in, who say, my goodness, this world, I just don't know, things are getting worse and worse and worse, and I understand that, and I recognize that, but rather than complaining and lamenting about the fact that the world is is changing, why don't we thank God for it? Why don't we thank God for it? Why don't we thank God for the opportunity that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is getting to live out the gospel distinctively in a world that looks a whole lot more like the first century than it does the 20th century? 
That, that, that's what we're doing. Uh, 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 Carl Henry called this a slow drift toward neo-paganism. He says the world is becoming more and more, this is 30 years ago, he, he said the world is becoming more and more like the first century. And so what we think is the world has to be like the 20th century. It needs to be like the 1950s for the gospel to go forth. But we all recognize and, and realize that the truth is that the gospel exploded in a world that was totally, totally against the gospel. Jesus can do that here too. You see, I think what we do so often is we take it personally when people don't believe the gospel and what we decide to do is act like them. We say, because they're not going to believe what we believe, because they're going to criticize what we believe, what we're going to do is we're going to act like them. We're going to be hateful too. We're going to wallow into the slop with them. We're going to treat them the way they treat us. We are going to show them. We're going to let them have it. We're going to be like Moses. We're going to be like the children of Israel and bring us Saul in who can fight our battles. We're going to fight for ourselves. Rather than leaning on the primary tool God's given us to reach the world for Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The Bible says we once too were haters of God. Therefore, haters of the truth. And just because you grew up in the church doesn't mean that it didn't take God's radical grace to save you. Jesus goes on not only to talk about the hatred of the world. I mean, that's just an attitude of, 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 of dislike, of of despising the church, maybe uh, sort of looking down on the church, looking down on what Jesus says and believes. But notice what else he says. Remember, verse 20, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, persecution is a little different. They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Real persecution. Jesus if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And right now, we're in a place where the church is just beginning to sort of be looked down on a little more than it used to be. While at this very moment, there are Christians all over the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ, people we have more in common with in other countries that are believers than we do with our lost neighbors down the street, our brothers and sisters, our flesh and blood, our family, all across the world, even now, are actually being persecuted for their faith. They're, they're, they're fearful that all their possessions will be taken from them. They're fearful even that they might be murdered. What I want to make sure of, church, is that when we hear these verses that we recognize for us in the, in the Christian church today, these are things that are helping us with a future, not things that are describing where we are right now. We are not persecuted in America. A lot of people want to act like we are, but I think that the church, especially in the United States, has developed a little bit of a persecution complex. We've got just a hair of a martyr complex. And, and I can say that because we usually use martyr complex to talk about things that don't involve dying, but our brothers and sisters in the world are actual martyrs. We are not fearful at this moment for our lives for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not nervous that we're not nervous that the government will come in and shut down our church. That may come to that one day in America. Don't get me wrong. But the, Christ is preparing us for that, not describing where we are right now. We must be careful. We must be very, very careful 
that we don't develop a persecution complex because what it does is it robs us of the ability to love and to pray for those who are really being persecuted in the world. Let me mention one other thing concerning this point. Verses 21 and 22. This is what it says. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because why? Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had come and if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Let me, let me put it like this. We live in a predominantly Christian culture here. Many people around us are at least culturally Christian. And I think cultural Christianity is what's sort of eroding, a sort of common mental assent to the truth of the Bible, but not a genuine faith in Christ. So that's why I see the coming years as an opportunity for the church. Not something we should be down about, but something we should be preparing to embrace. However, I want you to notice here this language. Why does the world hate the church? Because, they're, because they hate God. Because they're far from the Lord. And he says he came and he, and he did these works among even their Jewish contemporaries. And they proved themselves to be part of the world because they rejected Jesus. And he's not saying they would be guilty of no sin. What he's saying is they wouldn't be peculiarly gift, guilty of rejecting him. Do you see what's being said here? Jesus isn't saying, hey, the world hates you, so you need to hate them back. Jesus is showing the fact that we ought to have compassion and mercy toward those who hate us. We ought to, I don't know, how, how, what's a good way to phrase it? Oh, love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. This is exactly the point that Jesus is making. Because what he's saying is, it, as, as angry as the world may be with you, and as much persecution as they could throw on you, the reality is that they are still far from God. And whatever you experience at the hands of the world is nothing compared to what they will experience in an eternity of hell, suffering the wrath of God. And can you imagine what would have happened if God had simply let Saul of Tarsus continue in his persecution? and rejected him for his persecution, can you imagine what the shape of the New Testament and the shape of the world would look like today? No, God put his mercy on Saul, and, and then Paul becomes one of the 12 apostles. He becomes friends with those he used to persecute. We must make sure, as Christians, that we are not needlessly adding offense to the gospel when people are lost and far from God. I am concerned that we are more worried about owning people that we disagree with in worldly issues than we are their souls. I'm concerned that as the church, we are more worried about getting on Facebook and making sure everyone knows what our opinions are than we are showing the love and grace of Jesus to those who disagree with us. Brothers and sisters, if God has put someone around you in your life who does not know who Jesus is, who hates you for the fact that Jesus is, is, is in your life, who disagrees with you on everything, who thinks that things are perfect, who thinks everything that's wrong is bad, that is not something you should be upset about. That is something you should be praising God for because He's given you the opportunity to bear witness to someone who doesn't know Jesus. We have a tendency to add offense the gospel and use it as an, use these kinds of passages as an excuse can't help it if you hate jesus i'm just gonna act how i want that is not reflect reflective of a worldview that's built around the gospel of jesus christ let jesus be what the world hates
Second of all, let Jesus explain why the world hates. Let Jesus explain why the world hates. I want to point out to you verses 23, 24, and 25. Whoever hates me, 23, the Lord says, hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Let me just tell you a few things that I think Jesus is explaining about the hatred of the world. I think we have to understand here part of what Jesus is doing, I believe, is preparing his disciples for the fact that the gospel was not going to be universally successful. Right? You know, you can imagine if you were raised up as a good young Jewish man, and you were taught the Old Testament, and you were raised going to synagogue, and then eventually, because of this Jesus and his teachings, you get kicked out of the synagogue, and, and then eventually people want to kill you like they killed him. Eventually, at some point, you're going to say, maybe I was wrong on this, right? Maybe he really was just my friend. Maybe, maybe, maybe we just kind of got caught up in this. I, I can just imagine you know, a group of family members coming and saying, are you sure? Are you sure this Jesus is who he said he was. So Jesus is trying to help them understand why the world's going to hate them. And one reason that Jesus is giving him is that the world's hatred demonstrates a superficial belief in God. One of the things Jesus says is that those, he, he begins to show here that he's not just talking about the pagan world, but he's talking about their Jewish contemporaries. He's talking about their friends and brothers and sisters and pastors who they'd grown up under. And Jesus is making clear here that a genuine faith in God would have led to genuine faith in Jesus. And so he says the fact that they're rejecting him means that they've rejected God. He's helping them understand then why their friends are going to hate them. He goes on later in this passage to say, The hour is coming when people will throw you in jail and think they're doing service to me. You see, one of the things that's shocked me the most in my life one of the things that shocked me the most in my life, and I, I'm going to tell you, this shock, this shock for a while harmed my faith. It hurt my faith. But in the long run, it's helped my faith because I let Jesus explain the hatred of the world. One of the things that I've been shocked by the most in my life is the possibility and the tendency and the ability that religious motives have to produce hate. One of the things I've struggled with the most. Because oftentimes as a pastor, what you get kind of sucked into doing is making a, a sort of case that all belief is good, that all sorts of belief in faith is good. But the reality is that faith, apart from Jesus Christ, is just as damning as anything else. And we've seen it over and over again. I've seen it in my personal life to a small extent, but over across the world, I've seen the possibility and the ability that religious motives have to produce hate. People who hate one another. People who hate, 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 hate their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I've had throughout the course of my ministry from time to time people whom I've never had a crossword with, never had an argument with, don't even know that well, who, who hate me, who hate me. It's a weird thing to see that because what happens is 
when we start messing with people's idols, hatred comes out. People start messing with your idols, hatred comes out. And so what Jesus is demonstrating here to his disciples is that as you preach the true gospel and, and you start stepping on these people's idols, even the idol they call Yahweh, who's not really the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, this false God that some of your friends have created for themselves, well, you're going to start to see hatred because they hated me first. But you see, religiously motivated hatred ought not to surprise us. It ought not to weaken and dampen our faith. It really ought to strengthen it because Jesus says, whenever it is that people are confronted with the truth of who he is, hatred will come out. Hatred will come out. You see, the world's hatred, not only, not only does it demonstrate just a superficial belief in God, but it also demonstrates a hardened heart toward the truth. The world hates to hear the truth, and so they have a hardened heart toward the truth. But also, don't, don't forget, church, verse 25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. Verse 25, they hated me without a cause. The world's hatred fulfills the Scriptures. It didn't take Jesus' surprise. It doesn't take God's surprise by surprise. And it ought not to take us by surprise when the world hates us. So let Jesus be what the world hates. Let Jesus explain why the world hates. And finally, let me just give you one last point here. Let Jesus fight your battles. Let Jesus fight your battles. Here's the first thing I want you to see here. The last several verses of chapter 15. But when the Helper comes, that is the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The best tool you have, the best tool you have in withstanding the hatred of the world and in withstanding persecution should it ever reach your life, the best tool you have is the Spirit of God indwelling you. Lean into the Spirit. Listen to what that former persecutor Paul said to the Galatians in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Listen to this last phrase. Are you ready for it? In verse 23, against such things there is no law. We all need to get bumper stickers made. We need to all write that on our mirrors. Because as America changes, as Christianity and the perspective on Christianity changes in America, there may come a day where, when we're forced, as the states coerce some people to do, to bake a cake that we don't want to bake. We may be forced. One day the church may be taxed. God forbid that that's the case. You know, a gospel that the church can tax is a gospel that the, a, a gospel that the state can tax is a gospel that the state can silence. So God forbid that that ever happens. But at the same time, brothers and sisters, no matter how bad things get, no matter how bad things get, we still have the Holy Spirit. And we still have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when we start to wring our hands about where the laws in our country might go, remember this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I bet if we got busy doing those things and we're more concerned about those things than owning people on Facebook or, or, or being rude to our neighbors over what they think or believe, I bet if we got started on those kinds of things, against such things there are no law and there will never be a law. I bet if we really dug in on those things, we see a whole lot more effectiveness in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spread of the gospel than we're seeing right now. Lean into the Holy Spirit. But also remember, as we let Jesus fight our battles, remember that Jesus fights for you not always by owning the people around you or protecting you always, even though He protects you. Sometimes He allows us to go through trials, right? We see that plainly in the Bible. Jesus fights for you by keeping you a Christian. Jesus fights for you by helping you persevere. I've said all these things to you, 16.1, to keep you from falling away. Victory over the hatred of the world and victory over persecution is not ending hatred. It's not ending persecution, but it's remaining faithful to Christ in the midst of it all. It's being faithful to Jesus. And that is how Jesus is fighting for you right now. Sometimes we wonder why Jesus doesn't allow us to win every public victory that we want to win. Because the main thing that Jesus is doing, where Jesus' victory is really won, is by keeping you Christian. And by taking those people who revile and hate God and transforming them into Christians by the power of the gospel. You see, that's the final thing I want you to know this morning, is we are called to be witnesses for Christ no matter what the world does. Jesus says you will be kicked out of church, you'll be ostracized, you'll be thrown in jail, you'll be murdered. It doesn't matter because you're called to bear the gospel to the world. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Brothers and sisters, take heart because as we step into a world that's increasingly hostile to Christian truth we have in our pocket a gospel to share that overcomes the world and we have in our heart a spirit that indwells and empowers us and we have even by our side the Lord Jesus Christ who said so plainly I have overcome the world the nations may rage the nations may rage but the Lord laughs. Psalm 2 tells us. The Lord laughs. Why? Because what Jesus has done for us at the cross has overcome the world. I want to offer an invitation this morning. Simply put, what I want to do is tell you that Jesus stands ready with arms open wide to welcome you. If you've never trusted Him for the first time today, if you would turn from your sins and repentance and turn to Jesus in faith, I believe with all my heart He will save you. Second of all, you may be a Christian. You may say, Pastor, I have some things to repent of. This altar is open to you. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come.